This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned in to the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Smart City is a concept that has always been bandied about as we progress. A lot of us want to see a city that's technologically advanced and sophisticated, especially these days. But is it a lofty goal that's too far-reaching for us? Joining me for a more measured conversation on the topic is Ong Kajin, Chief Strategy Officer at Not Labs. I, I think smart city is one of those terms where it's bandied about a lot. It's like blockchain, smart city, digital media corridor, you know, all these like buzzwords of a kind of a infrastructural zone but really at its core the idea of the smart city is to incorporate technology in many different layers from the infrastructure level to the kind of uh, user monitoring um, level into the planning operations and monitoring of the city Um, so that really ranges from you know for example when you use your touch and go e-wallet nowadays and you pay the parking for DBKL with an e-wallet instead of say uh, you know the punch hole coupon that people used to use um, that's a that is part of a smart city uh, kind of initiative as well you can view it that way as well Correct. Um, I, I don't know whether this is relevant, but remember once upon a time, we, I think, wanted Sabujaya to be like our multimedia super corridor. Um, yes. Is that, is that, you know, I guess one way or another, another version of a smart city, I suppose? No, absolutely. Because I think what, um, you know, in the night, like, I mean, actually, Malaysia was very early in the game, if you think about it, because of Wawasan Doplo, Doplo and all that, and MSC. Um, but one of the prerequisites for a smart city is really like internet and digital and ele- well electricity infrastructure, right? You you can't have all these like digital technology stuff without the very basics of having internet. And so Cyberjaya was one of those um, first places in Malaysia to have full broadband coverage. And I mean, even today, it's one of the first few places that they're really pushing um, 5G, right? Which is... Um, going to make um, smart city initiatives much more possible and accessible in an area. Okay, yeah. So when it comes to, I guess, smart city, like you said, sometimes I think we tend to immediately think of the more obvious stuff, right? Like you mentioned just now, the internet penetration and things along those lines. But at the same time, it's not just limited to that, right? You know, so what, what are some of the, I guess, either criteria that we can talk about or that we can think about that it's not necessarily focusing on the literal aspect of a smart city, quote-unquote? Yeah, so I think th- this is where it really goes beyond the kind of hype and the be- beyond really the, the technologist kind of um, view of a smart city. Because if you really uh, think about what a smart city ought to do, it is to make the operation and planning of a city very intuitive, very accessible, and kind of to make information um, readily available, to be able to understand the city in a very basic level. So if you want to look at the history of it, you could argue that the first grid planning of the cities, right? Um, the first uh, movements in England, of the Garden City movement of the 1890s, um, the Radiant City movement uh, that, that Le Corbusier talked about in Paris. Uh, and also like recently, um, the, a big thing among urban planners is the 15-minute city, right? Where um, 
you should have access to work, school, retail, and recreation within a 15-minute walk or bike ride. When you really boil down to it, the smart city is about making life more convenient and easier within a city. And it doesn't, I don't think at its heart, it necessarily needs to be a very technology-driven kind of project. Although um, today when we talk about it, it's very much about you know robo-taxis and drones and all that. Yeah, I think that I think there is we can't help but I guess romanticize it from that perspective as well, right? To a certain extent. Only because I think that makes I guess the the concept more more palatable, I suppose. Yeah, you know, we, we love the kind of Skynet, like wow, utopia technology, you know, like when we drove our Wasan 2020 last time, we have flying protons and, <laughs> and, and, and cameras everywhere, that kind of thing. Yeah, but but it's also I think I, I think it's important to also ground ourselves and also think about you know things from from a more grounded perspective, right? Because I think uh, to be fair, I mean even uh, DBKL, I mean when they released their Kuala Lumpur Smart City Master Plan um, last year, if I'm not mistaken, the the aim has always been a bit more grounded. I think I, I'm looking through the do- document now. Okay, the thing about this kind of documents is that it, it can be very jargon-laden and just full of, I guess, vague terms that, that can be quite um, difficult to to comb through, right? Uh, but at the same time, I mean, in terms of, I guess, their focuses, um, in terms of the initiatives that they are planning to do, um, the focus, you know, it's not so much about the way people have been romanticizing it, but also focusing more on smart economy, smart living, smart environment, smart people, smart government, smart mobility, and smart digital infrastructure, right? So yeah, I think... Very, to everything assess, very smart. Yeah, so everything very smart, but at the same time, the focuses are more, I think, to a certain extent, quote-unquote, grounded a bit, right? Which is, I think, yeah. pretty important when it comes to talking about smart city, right? Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Um, do you think that, I mean, we're a bit late to the party? Like you said, I mean, technically, we've always had the idea of actually creating a smart city, but how come it has never taken off properly? You know what I mean? Especially in this day and age when... I think we have become a bit more, I guess, sophisticated when it comes to adopting technology in our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think um, actually the, the whole idea of KL as a smart city has been talked about for years and years, actually, in, in various ways um, since the 1990s. Um, you know, um, for example, um, the whole uh, IC project, right? Like, like all our identity cards have the microchip in it. And there was a very early vision um, of creating these kind of urban strips in KL, especially along the Klang River, where all you need to do is just walk in with your IC and that would be your smart ID, like one ID to rule them all. So, you know, really, I, I, don't, I think the term perhaps is newer and they've, they've now created a kind of quote-unquote official plan, but I don't think it's really that new. We've, we've tried to have it in one form or another many, many times over the years. Um, but I think one of the reasons perhaps it's taken this long to come up with something very official is, is really about traction and really about that when it comes to city planning, it's really about the nuts and bolts. It's really about all the kind of long supply chain, the kind of long line of contractors and subcontractors and open tenders that really make city planning a kind of gridlock, literally. Yeah, I think that that's the usual stumbling block, right, when it comes to uh, implementation and execution. I think uh, it's always about finding, you know, how how to implement it and I guess one way or another, creating that, that, that infrastructure, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it's just not just Malaysia, really. So, for example, Toronto um, had this twelve-acre um, kind of land called Keysight, which is along the Toronto waterfront, prime land, beautiful, uh, and they actually contracted Sidewalk Labs, which was um, basically Google, i.e., Alphabet Group's um, smart city urban planning kind of unit, and basically that whole project has been scrapped because. Um, you know, they they had this kind of very tech first approach. It very kind of like, oh my god, we're gonna have robo taxis and drones and cameras that even detect how often benches are being used. But they didn't pay a lot of attention to basically um, this kind of civic character of Toronto, the kind of privacy concerns of citizens. Um, the kind of idea of livability and sometimes people want a city that's perhaps a little bit messier or more interesting uh, and not super ordered. And so even in Toronto, uh, with the help of Google itself, it hasn't quite been able to take off despite all the hype and investment. So, you know, what, what more here where, you know, I think our resources are much more limited and we're, you know... Um, you know, we're we're not exactly working with the, the biggest tech firms, which I think sometimes is a good thing anyway. <laughs> yeah. So why why do you think that's a good thing? In the form of like, I mean, I understand where, where you're coming from, but at the same time, um, it's not like we're super obsessed with it. But at the same time, there are, I guess, to a certain extent, efforts to go about it. Uh, but why do you think we shouldn't be too sad that? we're not there yet because I think sometimes people tend to have that certain form of insecurity right, when it comes to like, oh, you know, we're not, not there yet. You know, what about, you know, we can't, we, we can't do it yet because we're not, you know, we don't have the resources, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think, I think, well, I mean, to be honest, in, in the first place, we should question what problems exactly are we trying to solve with the idea of this smart city, right? Um, because I think, uh, you know, uh, some place, uh, a, a place where the idea of the smart city has taken off and, you know, a lot of the governments have tried to uh, take on this is uh, in Africa. So uh, in, in Kenya, there's a, this place called Konza City. In Nigeria, there's Eco-Atlantic City. In Ghana, there's Hope City. And there's a Ethiopian city that was touted as, oh, it's going to be the real Wakanda, you know, like after Black <laughs> Panther. And and Senegal has Acorn City, right? All these like cities are supposed to be like new fresh starts to be a kind of a utopia where they're going to solve all these problems. Um, but really, the, the problem, they are kind of trying to use technology as a kind of band-aid and they think, often think, the, the often perspective is that they can use technology to jump over a lot of fundamental problems. So these are problems like affordable housing. These are problems like the way our roads are designed and how road maintenance uh, simply isn't up to par when it comes to the kind of traffic that we suffer. And so we have lots of potholes, for example. Like There are many, many kind of issues that cannot be solved just with tech. And in fact, uh, in some ways, like for example, let's say, you know, we are, we are talking about, you know, like, for example, um, Grab, for example, right? Um, I think, you know, Grab Taxi, like Grab uh, and ride hailing was, was touted as a kind of solution to people's dissatisfaction with taxis, right? And But I think in, in the kind of long run, and when you think about it, it's also made people um, more reliant on cars in many ways and kind of turn more to cars 
uh, instead of public transport. And now Grab really has become a kind of public transport of a kind of publicly accessible transport that people use instead of, say, developing more um, MRTs, uh, looking at last mile kind of um, transport options, for example. So I think in that way, sometimes technology can be a red herring where we turn towards a smart solution and it can sometimes exacerbate or allow us to ignore our fundamental problems a little bit longer, if you get what I mean. Correct, yeah. And I think to an extent, despite the convenience, which I think a lot of people will argue for when it comes to, you know, this kind of implementation, right? You know, the fact that, oh, it's convenient, especially for end users. Sometimes I think the end users, they tend to be the one, I think, that will say things the loudest, right, I suppose, because, because and, and that's fair, because I think to, to a certain extent, they're the, I guess, the recipient of the problems sometimes, right? So, I mean, they will argue for the convenience, you know, and how things are much easier, you know, for them to specifically, for example, in the case of right healing services, you know, get from point A to point B. But at the same time, yeah, it might solve one problem, but it doesn't really, I guess, to a certain extent, look at problems from a more, I guess, bigger picture perspective and also address, you know, the bigger underlying issues, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I I think, uh, you know, I have to extend a kind of hand of empathy a little bit to city planners and and, <laughs> and city authorities, right? Because I think for a lot of uh, city councils and all, um, the, the way they view the problem is this, is that we don't know enough. If only we knew more information, had more access, it made it easier, then we would be able to solve many of the problems. And I'm not denying the power of information um, in being able to have a starting point for solutions to be made. But very often I find that people, when they chase the smart city idea, it's less about practicalities and less about kind of like solving day-to-day problems as it much as it is about pursuing a kind of vision, a kind of utopic vision that oh, we'll be an advanced country somehow when we have a smart city, you know? That was Ong Kajin, Chief Strategy Officer at Notlabs, talking about smart cities and our understanding of them. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today via Zencaster is Ong Kajin. He's a Chief Strategy Officer at Not Labs, and we've been talking about smart cities and whether it's something that KL should aspire to. The conversation surrounding smart cities can sometimes be centered around grand visions rather than solving problems specifically. Is this something that Kajin observes as well? Yeah, so so I, I think, um, I mean, uh, you know, for, for example, um, you know, with, with uh, the, the example that I brought up in Konza City in Kenya, right? So it's been 12 years and actually they, I think they are kind of very good parallel to us because they literally launched this project called Vision 2030, which was very much a riff of... Um, Tun uh, Dr. Mahathir's Vision 2020 because I think uh, Mahathir especially has a lot of sway uh, especially in that part of the world developing world where 
you know, um, he was very much viewed as kind of leader of developing countries and especially non-aligned movement, right? So they really took a page from Vision Wawasan 2020 uh, and they built Konza City and it's been 12 years since uh, the start and basically not really not much has happened. Everything is still under construction like 12 years later and at the end of the day, what they say is really the problem is legal and logistical issues. Like, like they cannot approve the investments, they cannot move the the kind of land rights, the infrastructure rights are very complicated. Um, and I mean, you can see similar things in, say, um, KL as well, right? When it comes to, say, Kampong Baru, right? For years and years, the government has really wanted to... Uh, develop um, Kampong Baru and turn it into a new kind of place, etc, etc. Now, whether you agree with that or not is a different matter, but Kampong Baru has been very complicated because, uh, you know, each plot of land is divided amongst all the descendants, right? And um, in Malay inheritance rights, um, usually it's like equally split amongst all the children. So, Kampung Baru is now in its third or fourth generation. So imagine every time you have five children, five children, five, and then the five children have five children. You just have like so many landowners, like 30, 40 landowners who are a very small plot of land. It's almost impossible to get the legal proceedings done. So I think it's really these kind of issues that actually make urban planning very, very difficult. And I don't think these are very technologically driven problems or solutions really. That's the thing, right? I think to some extent, we need to focus our energy more on solving the existing problems, right? But but to be fair, like you said, you know, we've had this conversation for, for quite some time already in creating smart cities. Do you think that if we were to revive the conversation uh, a bit more uh, now, we would have more solutions to all these problems considering how we're at a different phase uh, in terms of our technological advancement uh, one way or another. I mean, yeah, if you think about it, like, for example, you know, we, we are using a lot of um, new things that I guess we wouldn't even think about, you know, uh, maybe 10 years ago, right, to a certain extent. So in terms of, I guess, being a bit of of, uh, of a visionary or, you know, in terms of, you know, if you want to brangan for a bit, right, thinking about, okay, for example, yeah, let's talk about smart cities uh, again, you know, in 2022 as opposed to in, I guess, 2002, right? Um, maybe we have more solutions to all these problems that we were talking about just now? Yeah. No, no, I mean, I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, you know, I, I think technology can do wonderful things like you know for example like you know paying your bills right collecting uh how uh, the city councils collect the the fees or, or land rent and land tax for example all these things should be made smart or, or for example affordable housing right how we do affordable housing planning uh, if we use say building infrastructure modeling that's that's a kind of software where you can actually uh, build schematics of an entire building. And because you know precisely what you need, like exactly how much concrete, where the pipes are, you can kind of troubleshoot. Oh, then you know already like, oh, this pillar might clash with this pillar. We actually need a supporting column here, etc. You Because you plan so many of these things beforehand, you really can improve the efficiency and, and cost effectiveness of affordable housing. Like, you know, all these things or improving the efficiency of public transit, right? Like, you know, okay, at these hours, these are the number of people coming in. We look at the data and we know that we need to be able to increase 
uh, the frequency or say the monorail or LRT at these hours. I mean, those are fantastic uses of smart city technology, right? So those are great. Those can be done. Um, but the thing is, very often when, when, when people plan and talk about smart cities, they go beyond very practical day-to-day solutions to kind of like these big ideas and, or, and, and it's really this kind of utopic dream, right? Um, and, uh, and, 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 and really, at, at the end of the day, the, the smart city is also, like when we plan smart cities, the, I think, to be very frank, part of the problem is that our ideas of the smart city have been sold to us really by technology corporations, right? So the, the kind of real progenitor of the smart city idea was actually IBM back in the 1990s. Uh, it was originally coined by IBM. So you imagine that actually it's, it's actually a sales pitch, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna, we are going to improve the city by my technology, right? And in recent years, I think in the past five, six years, in the past decade, really, the dominant paradigm for talking about smart cities actually has been set by McKinsey, the McKinsey Global Institute, which is a consulting firm, management consulting firm, of course. And, and of course, there are uh, a big commercial interest in this. And, and even if there weren't commercial interest, it's a very particular angle where a technology or consulting company is telling you that the solution to the city is technology and consulting, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the uncomfortable part about this whole conversation, right? The fact that yeah. perhaps, yeah, it is there is a quote-unquote hidden agenda that's not really useful to us. And especially for a, for a city like KL, where you know for a fact that there are a lot more things that we need to solve first before we can start even thinking about, about you know, these things, right? You know, KL... The inequality gap is pretty high if you think about it. You know, I mean, sometimes yes. we tend to we tend to overlook these things. We tend to take these things for granted, right? Considering yeah. how sometimes we live in our own bubble and we don't really know that you know, KL. You know, just because yeah, just because certain parts of KL is a bit more sophisticated doesn't mean that like you know other parts are, are as sophisticated, right? You know, that, and that's the the problem here, right? Yeah. So I mean, uh, uh, you know, like uh, I think a classic example, right, is that um, because we have a very kind of technology first lens sometimes when we talk about smart cities. Uh, I would argue that perhaps that's not the way we should be thinking about urban planning or the city itself, right? We should be thinking more about community spaces. We should be thinking about livability, about, you know, how how do we address these very kind of gaps that you're talking about and inequalities, right? How can we prioritize affordable housing? How can we create spaces where there are green spaces within our cities? Um, can we increase food security via urban farming, right? Um, but instead, um, um, in the course of kind of selling the technology and creating the technology, um, very often what happens instead is um, communities, especially the more um, marginalized, can become even more... Um, skeptical or, or, or afraid of the government because they know, oh, now that the government has smartified everything, uh, they have drones flying over us, you know, uh, monitoring our every step, you know, like this kind of paranoia we have as well with like social credit systems in China, right, where there's like cameras everywhere and all that. And, and this kind of paranoia about facial recognition technology as well, especially in Europe, and 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 there are there's very fair grounds to be very skeptical and 
paranoid about the kind of centralization of data that is possible under the, this paradigm of the smart city. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I think when it comes to that, it's also highly important that we start, I guess, changing the perspective of people who are for smart cities, right? In the, in the sense that, you know, sometimes maybe it's not, we need to, you know, I guess, shift their perspective a bit to, I guess, not, not, not so much to influence them to not think that way, but rather to bring forward these other angles that, that are perhaps as important or rather should be prioritized first before we talk about you know, other things, right? Um, you know, the yep. more sophisticated technological stuff, quote-unquote, right? Um, and, and that's where I think to a certain extent it's important to have these kind of conversations uh, every once in a while, right? To, to just shift people's perspective from not being so obsessed with the more romantic side of technology, right? Uh, and and do, do you think that that's, that's a difficult conversation to have with people who, who I guess, <laughs> are a bit more, I guess, romantic when it comes to talking about smart yeah. cities and technologies? No, I, I think... Um I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, I've, I've had this conversation with some people who who are um, very big proponents of smart cities. And, and you know, my, I myself am, uh, am you know, I, I I work with technology. I work with technology companies all the time. I'm a technologist. I, I, I love technology as well, right? Um, but I think um, to me, it always comes back to what is a city for and what is an ideal city. And at the end of the day, and, and who are you building the city for? So at the end of the day, I think the, the way we have to approach it is not how much technology can we pack into the city or how much technology can help us make the city more efficient, more knowable, more smart, but rather how can we create spaces where you know, I'll be like, wow, I want my children to live here. I, I would be happy to bring my grandparents here. You know, th- how do we create a livable space that's pleasant and convenient? Um, and I think if we go back to these principles more and try to establish a baseline where technology is actually helping these goals rather than creating kind of priorities of their own. Um, you know, I'll give you a very kind of mundane example, right? So... Robot vacuums are now very popular, right? Everybody has the, the iMore, Roomba kind of things in their home. And it's very interesting because uh, think about it, right? So when I first got one for my own house, I realized that, oh my God, I need to clean my house to make it Roomba safe. I need to not put stuff all over the place and arrange things in such a way. And oh no, my couch, my sofa is actually too low. It cannot go under the couch. I need to buy a new couch in order to accommodate it so that the Roomba is, can go underneath the couch and clean the bottom, right? So when you think about that, when you create a technology and you've invested in technology, sometimes it creates these perverse incentives to then basically change the city or change your home to suit the needs of the technology rather than the technology serving the needs of the home or the city. And I think that is the major concern with smart city initiatives, that when we invest in all this technology, we keep saying, oh, no, now all the, the whole city has to change to suit the technology rather than technology helping the city. Mm, correct. Yeah, I can imagine like, for example, you know, if, if we're going to use, um, you know, smart ID or smartphones even as a, as a form of like key pass to anywhere, imagine people who don't have, you know, phones that are modern enough, right? For example, you know, that, that in itself is already a risk because then, oh, this person has to update his or her phone because 
you know, you know the software can only be installed on the latest version of Android yep, or yep, iOS, exactly. right? Yeah, yep. <laughs> and that's not practical. Uh, yeah. Especially when when yeah there we we have not even addressed the inequality gap right yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah I mean at the end of the day I think to a certain extent our position is almost similar when it comes to talking about this but um so so how do we how do we I I don't know I mean I don't I don't want to end the the conversation on an optimistic note just for the sake of it but at the same time I think we need to be we need to be practical in in in, in understanding this subject right this topic right. Yeah, so I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, there's a really, really good example of a kind of smart city application that's, you know, happening live. And, and I think it's actually quite encouraging. So uh, in Chicago, uh, you know, they've been putting up street lights with trackers, right? So it's, a, it's called the Array of Things Initiative, and it's bringing together scientists, residents, government departments, tech technologists to kind of create um, precision urban sensing. And this is like really fantastic tech. You know, they're using NVIDIA graphic processing units. It's really IoT. They're performing computations. There's AI being used, etc., etc. But what they're doing is they're doing it on open source, right? Which means that the kind of data can be checked by the citizenry or people who are interested. They are using... Um, proper privacy safeguards. Um, and, you know, there's a whole participatory process when they do this smart city thing, right? Like, they're working with academics, they're consulting uh, everyday Chicago people, city departments. It's not a kind of one-way street where it's like, we're becoming smart now, da-da. And now the nodes have been used to assess, like, the safety of um, rail crossings, detect flooding along the Chicago River, monitor pedestrian crosswalk usage and everything. And I think this is the, a kind of really fantastic project where it is, one, structurally, it's structured in a way in terms of the governance and in terms of its safeguards that is citizen-friendly, that's community-oriented, and it's using really fantastic technology for us to become more efficient, for the city to be safer, to be healthier. Um, so I think it's really, that's the key really, that we have to pay attention, not just to like, oh, how advanced and fast and shiny the tech is, but what are the governance structures that we are putting in place when we are, and what are the kind of consultative process that we're taking when we are putting in all this technology. Mm, yeah, and I think I think that that's a, a good way to to start thinking about it one way or another, right? Yeah. So, uh, Kajin, I mean, for people out there who would like to, I guess, read more about the subject and also uh, perhaps you know start to think a lot deeper about about the topic, uh, do you have any re reading recommendations for people out there? Oh yes. Um. Well, I I have quite a few, but I think one book that's in pretty interesting is it's called smart cities big data civic hackers and the quest for a new utopia by anthony townsend um, so that's smart cities big data civic hackers and the quest for a new utopia by anthony townsend um, and really it's a it's a great crash course in um kind of the idea of smart cities and but he also looks at it historically he looks at it from from really from the rise of like industrial cities in the 19th century all the way to the present he looks at how 
uh, you know, the telegraph revolutionized the city, how today networks and cloud computing are being deployed. And I like him because, you know, he really looks not just at the kind of technology and concepts, but discusses, you know, who are the people who are really pushing this idea? You know, who are the technology barons? Who are the mayors? Who are the entrepreneurs that are and, uh, that are, and civic movements that are shaping this kind of smart city movement and what are their motivations what are their aspirations what what is not so good about them what what's the potential in them um, so i think it's a great starting point for anyone who's interested in the topic You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Ong Jin, Chief Strategy Officer at Not Labs and he has shared his rather measured take on smart cities. That's all we have for this week's episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at pfm.my slash ilovekl our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and you can also find our podcast on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.